president uh, basically hired other bank to uh, uh, pen test his organization. So the guys took on the responsibility. The next day, three guys walk in with fireman outfits on. And they said, we're here to check. Guess what? We're here to check on the, the fire extinguishers. Right and this said, way. Check all the rooms. And the first room they said they got to check? Server the, room. The server room. Right this way. Oh. And they say to the girl, do me a favor. Uh, I need you to check on something. The guy had something in mind. Please. of Yats. Every week, we get together right here Wednesday nights. Yet another texture.com. Check it out. I'm Matt Lee. Join me this evening. As always, we have Ant Pruitt. Oh, what's up, Ant? What's going on, Mr. Lee? And we got Larry Press. How you doing, Larry? Howdy, guys. Good to see you. <laughs> good, good to have you unmuted, Larry. And uh, Mike's not with us tonight, but we have a special guest from uh, Strike Force. How you doing, George? Very good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So uh, we should get right into it. We we write these articles here and there. Uh, they get posted on a new domain on Tech Page One for Dell. And uh, every now and then we get some interesting feedback. Uh, somebody from Strikeforce wrote and was talking about the difference between out of band and regular two factor authentication. And I had before that I had never really heard of the whole out of band or regular. I thought that it was all just one thing. So. I thought it'd be interesting to uh, see if you guys wanted to come on the show and, and talk to us about it. This is kind of what your company does, George? Uh, yes, it's one of, uh, we're a 12-year-old security developer, and it's our, basically it's the first product that we built in the company, and it is really our core product, which is basically an out-of-band authentication platform. So when you say, when you say out-of-band, is that what uh, the Google Authenticator app is doing? Is that is that considered out of band where they show you a QR code and you can scan that with your device and then it generates codes based on time? Uh, not really. Uh, let me explain, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak about this because there's a big misconception out there in the world as far as what's in band, what's out of band. Um, essentially, we, we happen to be the inventors of out of band. Our CTO comes out of Bell Labs or uh, as a senior architect prior to Bell Labs, Bell Corps, so he had a strong telephone background, and he also worked for the government, uh, specifically in CSE, the government contractors. And essentially, he realized he had, he had two disciplines, security and um, tele- telephone techno- you know, knowledge. Telephony, right. Yeah, and so in the late 90s, he realized that, there, that as the Internet was growing, remember back in the 96, 97, when the Internet was just taking off, that uh, authentication would be an issue because he had the vision to see that um, the Internet would touch the world, everyone in the world, and especially from a mobile perspective because, again, that was his background. And what he envisioned is that everyone would be using the Internet to log into banks, to you know, go into portals and all sorts of things. And he realized that 
it would need to be a very easy and secure way of authenticating the world. At the time, um, there was really one standard for authentication, and that was a company called RSA, great company, they're still, still out there today. They were bought by EMC about five years ago for a couple billion dollars. And RSA was uh, the inventor of basically a little token. It was a hardware token, a key fob, you attach it to your key ring. So when you go someplace and you want to log into your office or log into a website, basically you put your username on a computer, uh, you pull up your VPN client, you put your username, you put your Active Directory password, and then you would press the token, get a six-digit number, and you would append your, to your, your password. Basically, put that six digits in at the back part of your, of your password, and you'd hit login. Essentially, um, when that, all that information went over there, um, you know, the Active Directory and the A server from RSA would say, all right, do I know Matt? Do I know Matt's password is dog? And then I'm expecting a, because it's, you know, it's event-based or time-based, I'm expecting a specific number at this time. And it checks its server and it verifies that that number is correct. And then it lets you in. And that was great technology, okay? That was the, uh, essentially, that was the, um, the, the first evolution of, um, of two-factor authentication. Prior to that, everyone in the world used single-factor, which was username and password. But when that started to get hacked, RSA realized that they could make that safer by uh, issuing a token so the company or the organization that you work with would give you something that you have on your possession, and you would present that something back at the time of login. So that was a fantastic technology, but our CTO realized that those tokens were $75 a token, and they had to be licensed every three years. And honestly, that's not going to go when you're talking about mass distribution to the world using the internet. So with this knowledge, he realized that he could actually turn the phone into essentially a two-factor authentication uh, technology or methodology. So hence was our Protect ID product was basically born in his head. We, um, we basically built the company around it. And so what, what two-factor out-of-band authentication is, is um, essentially... If I use my computer right now and I go to log into my bank or I go to log into my VPN, it's going to ask me for my username and password. I hit login. That's single factor. In a two-factor environment, in-band, two-factor, uh, if I go to my bank or my VPN, it asks me for my username, asks me for my Active Directory password, and asks me for my token number or something else that the bank, my smart card, something else that the, the institution gave me. I hand that back to them whether it's a, 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 you know, um, uh, any type of a, a barcode or anything. Once I present it back to, to the organization through a computer stream, essentially that data is going over the same channel. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with authentication today because the malware writers, essentially the hackers, have realized how easy it is to bypass a um, a single channel authentication. So you're talking like you're talking man in the middle SSL stripping at that point, exactly. right? Exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. So what we invented, what what our CTO invented, was essentially the separation of the username from the password, separating them and sending them over two different channels. One being your data channel IP, and your other channel being a voice channel. And essentially, we completely separate the data it takes to log in. As an example, 
I want to log into my VPN right now. I pull up my VPN client. I type in my username and password, Active Directory password. I hit login. Two seconds later, my mobile phone rings. And my phone says, George, please use your voice as a biometric. Or please put in your secret PIN code that only you know and which is basically inside your head. But if okay. you're talking if you're talking about interception, it, how is that anyone that's going to go to the trouble to a man in the middle, either your network or servers like Google's, Facebook's, anything like that, they're also going to be able to go to the trouble to tap your phone line from the wire, like line man style, or clone your cell phone and have it forward to them. So it's it's not. I mean, is that what you're talking about? Trying to avoid by by having this out of band and in band. Well, in and in and out of band authentication for someone to basically get past that. All right. Let's just talk about the the piece points. Right. Um, uh, the points of it. So first of all, you know, it's easy enough to get you know to basically grab you know your VPN client where you're logging in. Okay. So they're getting your username, they're getting your Active Directory password. But they'd also have to basically grab your phone because your phone is the only phone in the world that's going to ring. And then once they grab your phone, they're also going to have to have your biometric as a, as a method of authenticating. And, and basically with the biometrics that we've developed today, they're not going to match because they're not going to have the required password in the biometric form to log in. Because what our biometric engine does is each time you go to log in, it's going to ask you a different phrase. Oh, so okay. it's not it just you. the biometric of your voice. It's the password that's constantly changing as well. So yeah, you could exactly. get recorded wow. voice. Exactly. Exactly. You could record so, your voice on a podcast, but unless you have it saying the same thing, then... And then we don't ask the same thing twice. Right, right. Okay, so the first time you provision your voice, it goes through a, about a five-minute process of asking you and, and repeating all these combinations. And we're also modulizing it. We're watching what's going on, and you know, and then like you know, all the like the uh, all the tech guys can really get into deep, you know, uh, discussion points on how we uh, uh, authenticate a voice. But uh, we really analyze the voice print, and uh, for for many many different points, and then of distinction. And then what happens is our engine, our biometric engine, if, if someone's using our voice part, is going to basically ask you each and every time to say something different. So today it might say, Matt, please say computer printer, uh, good afternoon. And then, you know, you go to log in two hours from now, it'll say, Matt, uh, please say computer desktop dog. And it'll just randomly create words, uh, phrases that you'll have to basically repeat back. Right. And that's when our engine on the back end checks that and verifies that you are Matt or, you, or, or you're not Matt. That's interesting. Now, this and this almost sounds like it's not because, like, what I was writing about is the stuff that normal everyday people are using that's free out there, and it, it does help secure your stuff more so than not having it, definitely. But what you're talking about sounds like this is full scale enterprise uh, use for people that it's a lot of trouble to go to 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 set up hacks like that. So you you have to be some sort of a target that that someone's going to take the time to you know go after you like that. And it, it sounds like a good solution. Absolutely. Like that's that's an interesting. You guys are the only group doing the voice matching uh, biometrics as well as the the user pass hashes and all that. Well, well no, the key not... that he mentioned. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, George. No, no. Go, go, go ahead, please. The key that you mentioned, at least what I think is the key, is the way you're modulating the voice. It's it's fairly easy 
nowadays to get biometrics off of a retinal scan or fingerprints and whatnot. But to look at someone's voice inflections, how they say specific words, um, you know, I may say computer or a certain with a certain inflection exactly. at an earlier point in the day versus at the end of the day, things like that. And it sounds like your back end is able to pick up that type of modulation in my in my voice. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great that's a great question and a great point. And the 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 real obviously the key is in the provisioning. Uh, mm-hmm. The very first time, uh, we get a good provision and call, and at that point, we get enough information. Uh, uh, again, if you're using the voice as a, as you know one of the methods, and um, and then when once that voice is uh, logged in and we have that that print on file, um, our engine just randomly generates basically random words, and because we know the inflections in your voice. Um, whether it's numbers, words, sentences, phrases, and then essentially it's going to come back and ask that. And, and, and the key is the, 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 the malware writer, the hacker is not going to be prepared to answer back with the inflection and the words that it's going to ask you to you know, rephrase right then and there on the spot. And then obviously we allow our system to put, um, you know, we can put thresholds on you know, the voice, so, you know, institutions can put a threshold on, you know, mm-hmm. do they want to crank it up to 99% or 100% or are they willing to accept other things? Because a lot of companies are using, you know, listen, authentication isn't the only technology. You know, people are starting to, you know, introduce geolocation. They, they, you know, they have all different ways of um, basically pinpointing that you are who you say you are and we're kind of like that final piece, you know. You need to know that the right person is in at the right time. So, mm-hmm. you know, thanks. How, how, did, oh, sorry, how, did, how does your system do if a person, say, has a cold or if uh, they've got a crappy mic because they're using a laptop or there's ambient noise? Is it pretty robust under those conditions? Yeah, it's very um, – uh, what our system does is, again, voice is just one of the components. We have actually – we have a platform for authentication in ways that actually uh, enables 14 different methods. Uh, wow. Voice is just one of them. Um, we do have in-band methods, we have eight out-of-band methods, and we also have a line of hard tokens itself. We, we have more of a platform for authentication, but the out-of-band is the core of it, and mm-hmm. the out-of-band is the, is, the, is the real strength of it. But to, um, um, to answer your question, um, uh, what, what, what our engine does, it, it actually, um, during, the, during the provisioning process, we actually lower down and we understand if you have a t- you know it built into the voice engine that's provisioning you um we understand you know even if you have a cold even if you hold your nose and you have a mm-hmm. stuffy nose even if you have a bad throat um to the naked ear i don't know if you naked eye naked ear um <laughs> you sound different right but the truth is the the actual voice signals that are coming out of your throat and your larynx are the same but you and i hear um, a sinus, you know, sinus issue or cold. So the algorithm is pinpointing your core voice, exactly. like a, a profile, exactly. basically, and whether or not our ears pick up on differences, the the core profile is the same. It's like when they do yeah. uh, identification using your gait or how you walk. Like if if they watch you long enough and have a profile mm-hmm. built, you can identify <clears throat> someone from that because it's so particular to them. And regardless, exactly. you know, you always have the same gait. It's just it's your bone structure, exactly length, right. and right. It, that's, that's interesting. It, it, 
Yeah. But I, I would still think if, if I kind of registered or, you know, kind of did my first voice print using a headset like you're using, and then another day I'm sitting at a crappy uh, laptop with it, you know, with just a microphone on the laptop and in, in a cafe somewhere with ambient noise, it might cause some grief. But it, as I understand what you're saying is that then you can fail over and, and try some other uh, challenge yes. other than yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. In fact, what are what what one of the key components that our platform is known for is that any of the fourteen methods can yeah. be used as an authentication redundancy for any of the fourteen methods. So, if if my organization today issued me a token and my token battery is dead, or I took a different car today and you know my wife's got that car with the key ring on it, so I don't have my token. I can log in as long as I'm provisioned to log in through a different methodology. And again, that's a policy issue now. Then mm-hmm. our system automatically will fail over to a different um, a different methodology. Uh, in fact, if the, if the policy is that they'll let, for example, Matt log in in any of these five different ways, then it just looks for any of those five different ways, and it doesn't discern one from the other. So again, we've built at, at the core of it is that a ban, and, and that's the important part. But it's more that uh, we build a platform for authentication because the, the unique thing is some of the organizations we're working with, one of them is rolling out our technology, a large bank, to 15 million users right now today. And to a large group of their 30,000 internal people, they're, they're using tokens. And another group, they're using soft tokens on their Blackberries, their iPads, their iPhones. And then all of their end-user customers, they're using an out-of-band call. But in, in that instance, they're using their own um, um, risk-based engine up front to analyze the riskiness of a transaction. And at that point, if they say, hey, you know what, this seems like this could be a fraudulent you know, login, um, then they'll use our system to actually place an out-of-band phone call. And whether they choose to use voice or look for a secret PIN code, um, you know, we leave that up to the institution to make that decision. So it's, it sounds like backup backup for like massive transactions. I, I almost, I don't, that seems like a lot of trouble that, that kind of thing to go through for like your everyday Gmail logging in or something like that, where you would just want your phone to give you the numbers. But if I'm making a million dollar business transaction, maybe I want to be a little more secure than that. And that, that's cool that there's uh, options out there for. I was going to ask what your penetration was, um, because at least the circles that I roll around in, it, you have a lot of people using the, the tokens that you talk about for secure IDs or online transactions. Have you. And, you know, again, it's all in band, but right. what is your penetration for this out of band? Well, um, you know, when we, when we started this in 2000 and uh, 2001, we had zero penetration. All right. Uh, you know, we, we just invented it. We, 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 we prototyped it and we started, uh, uh, promoting it about 2005 we had a it took about four years uh of me with my big mouth screaming at the top of uh, uh my lungs at every newspaper <laughs> magazine reporter analyst government agency uh at every um guidance like uh, the ffic regulators at the the, the, the groups that control uh, uh sarbanes-oxley all the regulators and you know Ooh, I, I, for about five, yeah for about five years i i yelled and screamed at the world saying listen we got to start thinking about um, the next evolution of authentication. We got to take the, the credentials from out of band, from in band, and then basically put over two separate channels, make it out of band. So uh, about 2006, it started to take off and realize something. You know, 
Um, we're using mobile device as the you know the first of our of our, uh, our methods, and uh, the mobile phones still weren't um, very big in 2006. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's really like 2008 where the, you know everyone was starting to carry a phone, and then all of a sudden companies realized, you know what, tokens is seventy five dollars a token. And I can deploy using out of band. Everyone in the world already has a phone. I'll turn their phone into a two-factor authentication device. And what's it going to cost me but a phone call? And if you use it, you know, SIP and VoIP, you know, it, it's basically down to fractions of a penny yep. for an actual transaction, the actual transaction. So versus seventy-five dollars to to more every three years, and the average help desk call is twenty-five to thirty dollars because you don't, you know, your battery's dead on your token or something like that. So with the with a platform for authentication, it became a more affordable means. And as as the world started gravitating more and more to the internet and using you know remote access, you know web portals coming up, and people needing to authenticate the individual, uh, that's when using a mobile device really started taking off. So in the last three years, uh, basically um, we hear on almost a daily basis, I need to dump my tokens. I need to get a token replacement. Tell me more about out of band. So it is wow. it is quickly becoming the de facto standard. In fact, the FFIC guidelines um, put out by the banking regulators now recommend out of band, and so do all the major analysts like uh, Gartner Group, Aviva Latan is a big proponent of it. The Forest, uh, ITE, you know, all the major analyst groups. And you that's nice. People, I think, like the public consciousness, never really heard about that until places like Facebook and Google implemented it and said, hey, here's an option. And I, I feel like everybody tried it, or maybe that's silly, not everybody. There's a fraction that tried it, and only a small fraction of that actually continued using it. And then you see things like the Matt Hone and Wired Hack and stuff like that, and, and it gets more people using it. But everyone's biggest complaint is that it's such a pain, like... If if my phone dies and I need it, I have the throwaway passwords and stuff. But when you're on a bunch of different devices on a bunch of different platforms, like people just turn it off rather than than deal with like, oh, I gotta I gotta put in this code or I gotta scan this QR until they get hacked, and then right. it's like kicking yourself in the face that you should have done this. And I mean, we always hear that like the internet wasn't created with security in mind. They, they were never thinking that like oh people are going to be doing transactions on here with banks and stuff like they the the core framework wasn't made that way so we're you know trying to patch this problem and i mean the password authentication model is just it's broken there's there's systems that can run at it full speed brute force and get through most of what the normal public is using and that same normal public is using that same password across all of their sites whether it's for a a candy crush game or their bank like they have no it's not in their head that like this this company may not take as good a care of their database as my bank does but if i use the same password like they're not thinking that they're going to put two and two together and now i have all of your site you know pwned and that's absolutely and 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 one of the biggest you know and you know obviously we're talking about authentication but the other major problem out there is is uh, specifically with regard to too many people in this world rely on antivirus as a way of protecting um, you know their, their desktops. Well, they don't understand. And, by that point, it's exactly. too late. This it's all yeah. heuristics, and like we're looking at what's exactly. already on your system. If it's on your system, already, it's too late, it, man. It, it's, it's too late. It's far and, too and yeah. That, 
A absolutely, and that's why the, you know we do love the you know the voice or the randomly generated uh, passcodes. Um, but you, but as long as you're sending them over two channels, uh, can you beat anything in the world? Absolutely. Okay, you can beat anything. If you can go out and you can go into a, you know um, a voice uh, you know what your, your voice pulse or one of your uh, you know favorite uh, or you know if you can take care of someone within the telephone company, they can switch your system, they can, you know, they can do all sorts of different things. Uh, but now you're talking about very targeted, targeted, targeted count attacks. And those are more of the a real espionage, you know, and I, KGB, I, CIA. Stuff. I feel like we haven't seen stuff like that since Kevin Mitnick was arrested. I mean, there wasn't really a prolific phone freak hacker like that i mean at least not one that we've heard of which means maybe he is out there or she is out there and just hasn't been caught but you don't really hear about that sort of stuff happening as much anymore well that's be well it's mostly databases getting attacked it's it's this sql injection it's it's silly stuff because people aren't salting their hash it's it it's it's cutting corners basically it's well, you know, it's, it's easier to hack today, believe it or not, than it was years ago. Well, yeah, script, there's script tools. I mean, anybody, if yeah, you really absolutely. wanted to, you could Google it and get a YouTube video on how to, you know, ARP poison or, or SQL inject or whatever. Okay, you know how many new var I was just reading an article this morning. Uh, excuse me for forgetting who put it out. Um, but there is, uh, in the first quarter of this year, there were... Um, they're saying that 2013 is going to be the year of the mal they call it malware explosion, and they were expecting uh, pretty close to 400 new 400 million new variants out there. <laughs> would you chalk that million. up? Would you chalk that up to mobile being such a, a explosive force that everyone has phones and they're not as smart about them as they should and a lot of these, you know, burner Android phones have malware on them, and that's, I mean, that all adds to the number, you know? Well, you know what it is? It, it's, um, I don't know if I can really chalk it up to just the explosion of a phone. Well, right, yeah. That is obviously, because, you know, it's, I mean, face it, the, the, the hackers of the world have realized how easy it is to profit from what's going on out there today. So essentially, um, what they've done is they've, um, you know, they've, they've, they now have another target with the mobile devices. So the mobile devices have basically given them one more area to shoot for. And because everyone in the world, you know, they're not even thinking twice about downloading anything. Right. And because it's a cool thing to say, look at the new, you know, app I have. And uh, meanwhile, you know, that app is either got adware on it or it's going to drive you over to a link to download something. It's siphoning and, off your contacts list, all of oh, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> but I do, I, I do think that, you know, with all of the data that we're seeing from everyone that's tracking it, the phones, I think that it, in 2014 will be that dominant um, uh, vector point for hackers. Uh, because, you know, there won't be anything that isn't done on a mobile device. Well, and that's interesting that there was a, an article on Ars Technica about uh, talking about how how crackers are, are brute-forcing passwords, and they they came out with, with three of these crackers that have at 16,000-plus hash passcodes with 90% access. And they're talking, 
I mean, it's not all hitting the completely hard random stuff, but they're building on you first crack all the easy stuff, one through six, you know, six character length, and then yeah. you take that and you're, you know, you're iterating, you're building, and pretty soon I have 90% of that database, and people that thought they were secure by using these super long, uh, even password haystacks where you're padding with characters and symbols and stuff, it's almost not enough anymore. I mean, you're still getting, if you get a good amount of entropy, you're still going to they're going to take some time to get through it, but it, I don't know, man. It's, it seems like, like that's just a terrible model. Like you almost, the, as fast as machines are, and the second we hit if quantum computing is possible and a computer can try every possibility in a second, like it's over. There's no yeah. security anymore at that point. So, Matt, you're saying the harder we try to secure our own passwords, the harder the hackers are working to... to I'm not even saying that. I'm saying the more dictionary lists they're getting, they're not even working harder. They're just adding dictionary lists. They're throwing horse... Exact smarter. Mm -hmm. They're throwing more horsepower, more CPU, GPU. And plus, I mean, we did an article for uh, Tech Page One about the Bitcoin miner machines. What happens if you take something that's made to crack hashes, specifically like an ASIC or something, and you turn that loose on 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 a database? Like, it's... It's not going to stand it's up. Child's play. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's child's play. Well, we, we're seeing. So, 2014, I think, is going to be the year of uh, hacking the mobile devices. But right now, the majority of, of what the malware writers are going for um, is still, you know, um, chopped up in our databases. It's low hanging fruit, right? They reach yeah, for the low hanging fruit. They're right. going after it, and they're taking advantage that, believe it or not, there's still over 80% of the companies today. Over eighty percent are still using username and password for logging into remote access. Oh yeah. Well, listen to this. I live. I'm not exactly rural, but we're not a big city here. And I went around war driving a while ago and looking at some of the banks' networks that they just have broadcasting. This is. I'm not breaking it. Just totally public. We found (laughs) web encrypted, and like this takes a second to crack with a netbook. I mean, this isn't this isn't anything super smart hack or anything. This is common knowledge and. They just don't get it, or it's been in place for so long that they've never hired that company to come back and update it, you know? It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I think your first point is they don't get it. Or, or, yeah. <laughs> the, majority of, yeah, the majority of the companies, they just don't get it. They well, and you probably see it. this more than I do because you, you work with these companies. Do they really just not get it? Is it not a, a matter of money? Are they just clueless about it? Or what do you see in oh, your travels? Um, Okay, so a big part of it is, um, a real big part of it is budgets, unfortunately. And, you know, they've made major investments over the last several years, and the problem is that they've invested uh, a a bigger, and and, and fortunately they have been putting larger uh, parts of their budget towards security, but the problem is that the hackers are, the institutions themselves just can't keep up with the hackers. And the hackers are socially re-engineering each and every part no. and getting in. Well, and a good uh, example of that, if, are you guys familiar with SSL Labs at all? Yeah, absolutely. So if you, uh, they have a, a what's called an SSL server test, and they basically mm-hmm. have this, this set of credentials, and it will give a website, whatever domain you put into it, it will check its SSL across its credentials and give it a grade. And you would be surprised at what some of these large companies and these banks are getting Fs because their SSL is just completely ex- exploitable and vulnerable. 
And, I mean, they have a they have a list here of everything. Just F F. Some get A's, and and you see, it's good that we see stuff like this because it brings it to their attention. And I've heard mm-hmm. uh, on other security shows that that specifically focus on this. People write in and say, "I checked this, and it was an F." And I wrote to my bank, just shot in the dark, and I checked it. You know, a couple months later, and they had an A. So like somebody's paying attention for it. They just need it brought to the to that attention. Some of them are, because look at just how, uh, uh, was it Anonymous or LawSec, how they went on a a bender last year (laughs) just trying to raise the attention, you know, say, look, your your, your site's a crap far as security goes right now, and we've been warning you and nothing happened, and then they just went on a bender and said, okay, now we have your attention. But until that happens, it's not getting fixed. The game hasn't been upped. We saw a prime example of this when FireSheep came out. And people were going to Starbucks and opening up a Firefox window and running this plugin and basically hijacking mm-hmm. session cookies because Facebook, Twitter, all of these major social networks were not using SSL. And what yeah. that did was instantly, I mean, like months later, it was SSL everywhere at that point. I mean, mm-hmm. Google was the first, I think, and then yeah, Facebook did it, then Twitter first. did Yeah, yeah. And I, I can't remember if Twitter or Facebook was next, but then they, they were shortly thereafter like, Okay, SSL on by default. It's dumb that we didn't do it like this always. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry well, if your account well, got hijacked. We're sorry. Thing, well, one thing we'll never have to worry about the hackers is they'll always look at how to um, each piece of the, you know, each piece of the, the, the uh, institution's chain. Uh, they'll look for vulnerabilities. I'll tell you two quick vulnerabilities, and you may appreciate these. Um, uh, recently, a, uh, I was working with a, a risk analysis group, and they go and they run risk on, on organization. Pen test, so right? Pen testers? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. And um, so uh, this is in the Midwest, and uh, the president uh, basically hired up a bank to uh, uh, pen test his organization. So the guys took on the responsibility. The next day, three guys walk in with fireman outfits on, and they said, we're here to check. Guess what? We're here to check on the, the fire extinguishers. Right and this they said, way. Let's check all the rooms. And the first room they said they got to check? Server the, room. The server room. Right this way. Oh. And they say to the girl, do me a favor. Uh, I need you to check on something. The guy had something in mind. She says, hold on. I'll be right back. She leaves the server room. He plugs a, a key logger. Done. Uh, uh, yeah. Right into one of the server serial ports. She comes in. She says, here's what you need. He says, great. And he says, okay, I think we've seen enough. And he left, and then he just started running, um, you know, through his Wi-Fi, which was right outside the building, just started grabbing everything in there, and went to, back to the present in less than eight hours and showed him how vulnerable he was and could log into everything. Yep. That was one. I mean, that's that's just, you know, that's, how that's do you... If that comes in with with a fireman's out, but you're not expecting axes. that, right? You're completely exactly. your day to day life is so monotonous at that point. You're not, and that's what I mean. Social engineering one oh one, like that's blend in and just you're you're supposed to be there. You're the the delivery guy or whatever. Well, I'll give you another one. It just happened down in California a couple months ago. So there's a, a major uh, one of those copier companies that. Um, uh, I'm not bashing them, so I'm not going to say their name, but they're a major company, they're a distributor of multi, multi different types of copiers, like those $1 million printing copy setups. And essentially, what they did was they, the hackers hacked their, their, it was child's play to hack their site. Was this they the one that left Telnet on and the Telnet uh, was, was no, 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 no. Listen to this. Oh, Listen okay. to this. 
So they hacked that site and they send out, they, they uh, basically spearfished about 10 of the sales guys and one of the, the, the girls. Uh, they dropped the key logger. They got their remote credentials. They log in at night. What did they do? They started pulling all the database of all of the RFPs that they, that they put out over the last 60 days. Mm-hmm. And then they got who they sent the, the email accounts of who they sent the RFPs to because these were all multi-million dollar, you know, $800,000, $2 million systems. They, and a lot of multi-government agencies. And then what they did was, they once they found out who was the recipient of the RFP, they wrote them and said, listen, there's been a major price structure downwards in in that copy that you look for. Please find a attached a new proposal for the RFP. And these people just started opening them just up. Opening it right on up. <laughs> they nailed about 20 companies in, in about four days. And wow. each of them, and they, what they do, they had exploited Excel spreadsheet with a keylogger involved, and then they just started just hacking away. I mean, that's social engineering to, I, you know. Right, and that's research. nine times out of ten, that's going to be a company's least secure vector. I mean, if you're going to get hit, it's going to be through the secretary. It's going to be someone that has the monotonous job that's just like, either A, they don't care, they're not paid enough to care, it's not, you know, they're just doing what they do, or... Or, or B, it's all about watching their margins. Oh, you're going to cut me a break? Yeah. Exactly. You know. yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thing, it goes back to authentication, right? It also goes back to the problem, it's a whole other... Uh, you know, show talking about encryption or at least keystroke encryption. Right, right. Where the inventors of keystroke encryption. But, you know, the credentials, you've got to have some strong form of two-factor authentication, preferably out of band, for logging in. You know, and in in all these instances, well, not in the bank, that wouldn't help it at all, but certainly in the uh, the copy and all these uh, agencies, it would have certainly helped, as well as the copy of place. If the girl and the guy is there, uh, you know, had two-factor authentication for logging in, then, you know, they might have been beat from the get-go. Yeah, and it's always, you always, like I said earlier, people are like, oh, but it's such a hassle. But, like, stand in line after you've gotten your license stolen and, like, renew your driver's I mean, that is the biggest hassle. I would much rather have my digital life, you know, with an extra. And there was a uh, WordPress hacks coming out that people were hitting uh, the, the logins and trying all of these admin and, and everything because people leave their admin account default. So the first thing exactly. I did was looked for a two-factor, something that would work with the Google Authenticator because it's something I, I have on my phone already and found this perfect thing that just, it here here's your user pass, put in the number that your phone says at that time, and, and you're good. And you know what? No problems. But people, it's it's a matter of taking that step or knowing. And I mean, especially with WordPress people, I'm sure they buy sites from a designer that sets them up one time as like, here, this is yours, I'm out. And they don't update it. They don't, they don't take care of it, right? It's just there. So you have all of these sites floating around the net that are just botnet parts, basically, you know, oh, yeah, serving exactly. up malware because nobody took the time to, to care about them, basically. They're just out on the side of the road, sad. It is. It really said, and and what's really said is as great. And you know, uh, ultimately, America is one of those you know forward-thinking countries, and we got the greatest technology because everyone's buying our technologies from around the world. But yet, here in America, most companies are very skittish about forcing the people to do stuff. I was working with a couple of banks in in the UK over the last couple of months, and they say basically. 
uh, here's what we're going to make the people do. And I says, um, you know, in, here in the U.S., we've, we've always seen lots of resistance from banks. God forbid they should ask the person to do an extra step. You know what the bank t- told me? They said, if the person won't authenticate the way we want them to, we ask them to go to another bank. Wow. And that is, that's, you know, they got to have the guignones to make that's your safe self up. Yeah. Because it's, but, but, but that's the thing, you know, uh, here it's about, you know, instant gratification. And God forbid we ask someone to, you know, just in two seconds, wait two seconds for an SMS text. Right. Well, know? and people don't think it's not just you that's that's using this. You're on a server or in a database Absolutely. with a million other people. Like, mm-hmm. you would hope that they would take the time to not use dog or monkey as their password, <laughs> one of the more commonly used, you know, that are in the list, just like you would, because we're all in this together. If it goes yeah. down, like, I'm just it, as effed as exposed. you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's that's the dilemma out there. But, but you know, getting back to one of your earlier questions, um, uh, and as we are seeing uh, a great uptick, and i got to say this, uh, companies, uh, unfortunately, it took the regulators actually starting to audit and find them. Um, you look at companies like from a couple of years ago, uh, you take, for example, um, over based in New Jersey, uh, one of the biggest hacks, one of the largest hacks, the first very large hack without uh, two-factor authentication, and um, essentially it was you know, compromised by a bunch of keyloggers in Heartland Payment Systems. They have now spent... Upwards, as reading the other day, it's four years, uh, five years later. They spent pretty close to two hundred million in fines and lawsuits so far. So, you know, so obviously um, something like that could, you know, devastate a company, put it out of business easily. Mm-hmm. But is that what it uh, takes? Is that a fair, like, if you don't protect your users? I mean, who is the onus on? It's the users choosing to use the service, but you're offering it under the guise of, yeah, it's secure? Like, who? I mean, everyone shares the blame. That's the thing. Offering something out to cover your butt, you know, is not good. It's not a good, you know, security strategy. Right. You have to implement and say, look, I notice it's an inconvenience. Uh, however, it's for your protection and our protection. And if we all do it together, and that, like you said, if we all do it together, then it helps all of us. But, it, you know, we're only as strong as our weakest link. It's herd immunity almost. It's it's kind of yeah, weird that exactly. way. It's like a weird herd immunity. Exactly. And companies need to, and, and fortunately the regulators have been coming down and uh, putting stringent uh, regulations in place for, you know, uh, they've been a little too, I mean, they've been, they seem to have been more focused on making sure that companies with breaches notify the people and the regulators. However, you know, that was in many instances coming before the actual, let's put a strategy in place to stop the breach. Yeah, we saw you that know? back with the, the Sony break-ins and before that even, that companies exactly. wouldn't come public until months later after, you know, things had been patched. Users had no idea, like, oh, my credit card info is floating out there? Yeah, but here's a voucher for, you know, whatever to, to get it <laughs> fixed. Much of, uh, like, yeah, it, know, it's we'll far too you. late by that point. That's like antivirus. I mean, it's it's over yeah, at, at it's, that point. Yeah. Well, that's why it's got to happen before, and that's why, you know, um, as Ant asked, you know, do we see, you know, do we see the um, an upswing in it? And the answer is absolutely. We, I mean, we get calls now. Um, a year ago, two years ago, you know, we, we had to go and constantly promote our technologies. 
Now, we get calls from companies every day, of, just about every day of the week, multiple companies. I'm talking about some large and small government agencies and saying, hey, can you talk to us more about two-factor authentication or, you know, our keystroke encryption? And, and obviously, we like to pair the two together because we feel that if you can encrypt every keystroke, you know, just because you, by the way, just because you have um, two-factor authentication, and it could even be out-of-band authentication, while you won't exhibit a, uh, a remote access breach, you can still have data leakage, which essentially is a data breach, if I get malware in your system and I'm basically watching everything that you type. So we're, we, we are very strong proponents of, you know, um, you know a layered approach is, is, is a necessity. And uh, specifically, you've got to protect data at the point of origin because it's not whether, uh, um, it's not when, um, it, it's not whether, you know, malware is going to get in the system. It's, um, it's uh, how bad it's going to happen to you. And so, it, but you will have a breach, absolutely. Well, yeah, and it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be the users getting hacked. It could be the database getting snatched and hammered on exactly. for, for weeks exactly. and weeks exactly. and weeks. It's, there's you know, many points I'm, of intrusion and attack that, that happen. Exactly. So layering your technologies uh, is, is, is absolutely critical. And, you know, uh, you know, the fact that we make both, you know, an authentication technology and a keystroke encryption technology, we feel that, you know, the joint of both products give you uh, the strongest and uh, uh, you know front against that hackers who are very creative today. Well, especially after like we we mentioned earlier, reading the Ars article about these guys, like just using interesting hybrid techniques, not even just saying, "Oh, I'm just going to brute force this thing till it pops." Like I'm gonna I'm going to take statistical analyzation from this and I'm going to combine it with this and then I'm going to hack on it for a while and then eventually I will get you know 90% of your your stuff cracked. It's, Absolutely. It's Basically crazy. they're calling it a malware cocktail and you know and uh, you know they're mixing up a cocktail for each and every company out there and uh, like you like you said they're analyzing what the company's using, uh, they're fishing a the company, if they know what technology that companies are using they're then fishing a company that sold that technology to them, and the more that they could learn, the the more knowledge they go back and, and how to socially re-engineer uh, or create a you know a, a malware cocktail just it, it, or a hack cocktail. It doesn't have to be just malware. Um, it could be vision, it could be phone calling, it could be you know multiple things. Uh, to basically breach that organization. One think about once you start talking about like cyber terrorism and government sanctioned cyber malware stuff, like once that's released into the wild, they made it and it's awesome and it's going to totally break down this country. But now it's in the wild and someone's going to get a hold of that and look at it and say, ooh, you know, and and the more the more that gets escalated, right? It, it, it's going to come back and hit all of us eventually. Well, look what happened with Stuxnet. <laughs> yeah, well, Stuxnet, there Stuxnet you go. was exactly that, right? Yeah, but you now know, it's it, out there. So who's to say that's not going to hit our PLCs next? Like, exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's it's engineered for a Siemens, but what's to say they can't re-engineer it for whatever PLCs we happen to be using? It's it's dangerous. Yeah. That's a slippery slope, man. <laughs> that's that's yeah. scary. I like uh, Mark Rusnovich writes about that stuff in the the book Zero Day and Trojan Horse, and that like that's that's happening. Amazing, that's happening. That that's that's what's crazy oh, yeah. about. It. Well, look look what happened. Uh, did you see the Mandiant re- report where they had their van sitting outside the um, um, uh, uh, Mandiant wrote a report two months ago, and they also did a video of it 
where they pulled their van up. It was a, uh, in China, there was a, a building, government-sponsored, and there was several thousand, uh, basically, hackers in there. And they were basically hacking U.S. companies, and they were paid by the companies that they hacked. And then what they would do is um, they would take their intellectual property, bring it back over, and obviously since it's it, you know, in China, the, the low cost of development, and essentially uh, build that product and sell it to the U.S.-based companies at a lower price. Wow. <laughs> so they saw what we, were, what we were building and distributing, not us, but companies, whether it was a red widget or a green widget, it didn't matter. They were just hacking companies that had success in the marketplace with whatever product it was. And rather than trying to just go out and, you know, design that from ground zero up, um, why not hack and get the blueprints or the plans, build it yourself, you, you know, basically speed the process of development up by a year to two years and then hit the market fast and come out at one-tenth the price. Yeah, they're, it's like 3D printing. You know, they're like, I'll just make that myself, thanks. There's the plans. Oh, I'll take that, <laughs> exactly. thanks. Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, we should shift gears a little bit. Do you, Are you guys familiar with Liberty Reserve at all? Did you... I saw this on Krebs on Security, and it, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, there's there's places like PayPal, and we, we all know about PayPal, obviously, and uh, there's other smaller companies that kind of offer these... I don't want to say money laundering services, but that's kind of in the end what it uh, ends up being for certain uh, people, co-conspirators or or what have you. But basically, they're shut down. The guy got arrested. And this says uh, from Krebs on Security, it says that the the U.S. government alleges that this Liberty Reserve processed more than 12 million financial transactions a year. Uh, for a combined value of more than 1.4 billion with a B dollars, which I mean, you see why they went after them. Obviously, one of the more more transactions and and a lot of untaxable laundered money or whatever. And obviously, it says you know not every user of this service was culpable to this. You know, it was a legit service, but. The guy that started it had maybe some some nefarious alleged ties and and whatnot, but uh, they say that you can basically just put cash into this service using a credit card, bank wire, postal money order, any money transfer, basically. You can just put it in here and then convert it into one of the firm's own currencies, either a euro or a U.S. dollar, and then you can transfer that to another account holder who could then take the funds out. And basically, they would set this up with nothing more than like a, an email address, a name, and like a, a you could f- give them any any number right, for a, like a. I don't, it wasn't a social. What what did they ask for? It was something else, but I I don't know. Uh, so they, I, I mean, busted big time. That, that's that's a lot of. Let me ask you, Matt. Have you heard of them? No, I hadn't heard of them until I saw this article. And then I started kind of searching around, and it, I, I don't know, it's, it's, I like where I, the services I use, whether it's PayPal or Bitcoin or whatever, and I'm kind of, I tend, I tend to stay in my habits, you know, so I never was like, oh, this PayPal fee is too much, I'm going to look for something else, and I mean, I'm kind of glad I didn't now. It kind of reminds me of that penny, arc, the, the penny, penny auction thing. That was mm-hmm. big around here. A lot of people around here were like, "Dude, this guy's making like twelve grand a month. I'm gonna get into this." And then right. I had one friend that did another podcast with me. Uh, he got into it right before the whole thing went down, and I and I kept telling uh-huh. him, "I'm like, 
I'm not going to believe this until you get out $200 and we go out to dinner with that, and then I will believe you. And it, it never did happen. They, they got shut right. down before that. But that's, this kind of reminds me of that, you know, these services that, that crop up. And it's not, it's not doing like what Bitcoin is doing, where we're going to give you a new currency, basically, and it's all cryptographically sound and whatnot. This is just like, we're going to just take your money, we're going to convert it into some bits, and then we're going to spit your money back out, but it's clean somehow, you know. I just wonder how people hear about services like this. Now, me personally, the grapevine. I, I have my own gambleholic issues that I deal with from time to time. Some online um, poker, perhaps? A Yats <laughs> poker team, perhaps? So, and some of the services that I used to use, they, they would have all of these different little uh, online tellers. And mm-hmm. I want to say I remember one was called Net Teller or something like that, and I had never heard of it. <laughs> But it was reliable as far as getting me my winnings and stuff like that. My brother but, got into that playing the online poker, and I was like, how are you even getting money in? And he's like, no, you got to go get these burner like gift cards, put money on those, and then the site will accept those particular cards. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you that never doesn't give sound, card. that's not legit. But they sold it to you. Yeah, you know, yeah right. They say they sold you a prepaid card because they, they wouldn't allow you to gamble directly but you can use money off of your prepaid card. Yeah, right. And it's kind of like games, right? In-game purchases. We're seeing this a lot in in this game on Android. Uh, it's 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 called uh, Dead Trigger. There is you can go into the casino and get coins that you can gamble with and get stuff in the game. Now you get yep. those coins by either getting them in the game or paying real money for them. So you're oh, in yeah. essence teaching kids to gamble in a weird way, yeah. like. Hey, Mom, I need the credit card so I can get more of these coins so I can get a better gun in this dumb game I'm playing. Like, that's... You know, eh. don't get me wrong. The, the whole gambling community, it's, it's huge. That's why Vegas oh, is still here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You I know. mean, poker got way huge in the mainstream in the last, like, right. five years, right? Right, but you look at this... this What are they called again? Liberty? You just said it, and I've already forgotten Liberty the name. Reserve. <laughs> Liberty Reserve. Liberty Reserve. Liberty Reserve, you know, it makes you wonder, how do people find this? You look at someone like PayPal, and they have a presence, you know what I mean? They have but a did presence they always, online. they had to start somewhere, right? PayPal got the backings of the major credit card companies, and that had their built-in audiences, right? And that gave them the mind that, share. Yeah, that's fine and dandy, but these cats are doing this, what did it say, since 2006, 2008, and got billions of dollars in transactions? Somebody heard about them. <laughs> it, it, and that, well, is that where it goes back to the organized crime thing? Is it like through the grapevine? Hey, this is how our syndicate, this is how we're doing this. You might want to look huh. into it, you know, or, or something like that. It's, right. it's not something advertised. It's, a, on, it's, on, it's like Silk Road, right? You need tour and you have to be invited by yeah, someone that is popular on 4chan. Yeah, exactly. It, that's how it, it spreads via 4chan. Let's just leave it at that. But uh, yeah, interesting story though. But I was like, man, b- 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 billion dollars in there, you know? Yeah, I mean, buco <laughs> transactions for sure. Hmm. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, let's see. Did you? We talk about mooks a lot on the show. Larry, being the the, the professor, uh, you talk quite a bit about this. Did you see that Google is offering a YouTube mooc of sorts it, it, via Hangouts? Uh, called YouTube Academy. I, I got sent the invite from it because we do all of you know these tech shows through through YouTube, 
And basically, they opened up a course on how to make your YouTube shine, basically. Like, I'm looking at it here, the lessons in week one from the course outline. (laughs) I don't know if I'm, I'm not going to get kicked out for sharing this, right? It's not anything yeah, you pay you know for. that's about to happen. Nah, that's fine. <laughs> Lesson one, step up your game. So I have a feeling that they're going to just be like, you know, we have all of these tools. Use them. Step up your game. Use the platform. Here's how to do it. Um, what makes a channel tick? Lesson two. Lesson three, land your brand. Uh, and then week two, rock solid building blocks bringing it all together. So basically starting from scratch and kind of doing what we stumbled through on our own, trying to figure out how to do here. Here's a course on how to do that. We've been watching, you know, Yats. I'm looking at that first lesson and it says, step up your game. Um, let's just say theoretically, they want you to use their particular tools. Uh, you know, they have all of the different animation tools and, and editing tools already built in to their service. Now, you start using that on your channel. Uh, is there going to be some type of algorithm that scrapes and says, hey, they're using our stuff. Oh, Let's like, try to promote it. Yeah, yeah. You like, know? we made that sound for your intro. You owe us a yeah. penny now. I hope you not. Know. Are but they going to can... start scraping that? Even though there's tons of people out there, you know, such as my, my, my buddy Christopher Rizzo, who does my animations on my videos. Mm. He's doing all of that stuff in Final Cut. Right. You know, and they look way better than what YouTube is offering in their tool. Well, and think about it too. Final Cut needs a high-end Mac to run, and it's pretty expensive. This is all free. You could do this on a Chromebook probably. But And I also think it's more than that. It's like how to set up your lights and, like, stuff, like I said, that we kind of tripped and stumbled through figuring out how to do nice sound, how to do, you know. Uh, other things to the channel to make your your show decent, but I, I could totally see him doing that. Also, yeah. Yeah. you know they they did one on uh, on search, and you think, oh wow, I know everything about search. That was like this. It, it was an and actual course it. and everything. Yeah, they did a MOOC. The, the first MOOC they did was on search, and for one thing, I mean, I didn't go through the whole thing, but anytime I dropped into it, I learned five things I didn't know about search. And also they do stuff like they bring in people and they have discussions. The, the search one was really good, so I would think that this one will be pretty good too. That does seem interesting because Google search, I mean, if if you do it wrong, you can really hurt your your ranking. So that would be – it would be good to know how Google does it exactly so that you can, you know, not cheat it. I don't think this it, was but... oriented doing uh, SEO kind of stuff, but just to make you a more effective searcher. Well, yeah. Oh, searching, not forgetting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Exactly. But you know, the other thing is, is Google, uh, they're the platform that they're building these MOOCs on. They have open source. And, um, I tried to get close to those people and talk to them about it. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up taking that platform and making it a service. And then you're going to be able to build your own MOOC or your own MOOC components and, and host them on a uh, on a hosted server. That would be terrific. Well, that's interesting too, Larry, because think about what we saw at I.O., right, with the Google Play for for schools, with the apps and, and, right. and being able it's to do the It's all part course. of the package. Listen, yeah. Google has that Google Play for, for schools, which I think doesn't come online. Is that what it's called? Is it called Google Play Schools? <laughs> Because the play school reference would just blow my freaking mind. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) I hope they do it then. I'd like to see your Google play school. (laughs) 
But look, man, they've got hangouts. I mean, look what we're doing. I, every class can make use of this for student yeah. stocking, working with students, student stocking the, you know, the professor. Uh, they've got Google Docs. They've got this, I hope, someday um, online platform where they're letting you build courses. Uh, they're in a position to really uh, make a big dent in the, in the education world if they want to. And I hope they do. Yeah, that would be cool. And just just from the fact here, it's just saying like what's in this course, and they're saying free two week uh, long online course. It's from June third to sixteenth. If you want to, if you're in on it or whatever, uh, it's divided into six lessons, three a week, with videos in English with closed captioning, uh, downloadable text, and audio only track activities to try out what you've learned on your channel, and assessments to check how you're doing. We also have optional community components with the Google Groups forum and Google Plus page to connect to your classmates and teaching staff. So that's that's interesting that they're they're going the the Google Groups route rather than using it all on Google Plus and using communities built into that. They they separate it. I, I think yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, why didn't they use a community? Yeah, that's that's I would rather see that. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe place. Yeah, maybe community kind of, that's though. A surprising Communities might be it might be more for two two person interaction. Uh, what what you're talking to your 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 audience, right? It's a two person back and forth with your audience, not necessarily for for that other purpose. Yeah, be, you should take the course. Yeah, no, I'm definitely doing it, and and we'll talk I've about signed it. Up. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that's it. We're at an hour here. Great show. I know, George, you got a, another call to jump on. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, your site again is strikeforcetech.com. So, interesting solutions if you guys need good out of band two factor off. Oh, thanks for joining us, George. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much. I right. really appreciate it. Speak with you. And I'm here anytime you'd like to chat more. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Aunt Pruitt, as always, Larry Press, Professor. Good to good to do another another Yats. Uh, check out our site, yetanothertechshow.com. Subscribe on iTunes, all that stuff. You can uh, email us through the, the site and interact. We got all sorts of great stuff going on in the Google Plus community. That's where we pretty much hang out all throughout the week. So uh, yeah, check that out, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Tech Show. Check us out online at yetanothertechshow.com.